1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 27. And I know you're going to find it a great help to have a copy of Scripture open and reading along with me. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find that on page 957. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. And again, let's go to the Lord praying and asking him to send great accompanying power with the preaching of the word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we are utterly dependent on you for everything, for life, for breath, and for all things. And if in the natural world, how much more in the spiritual world. And so, our God, we pray that you would hear us and remember us. We pray that for Christ's sake, you would look upon us and that you would send your word out with great power and conviction. You have told us that every word of God is breathed out and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, our God, we pray that you would send it out in all of those variegated uh, uh, uses and purposes, and that you would sanctify your people, that you would convert those that are unconverted, that you would give them new hearts, and you would grant them repentance and faith. Our God, we know that what we're doing is powerful, and so we pray that you would accompany it with the power of the Holy Spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, there the apostle says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, there was a commercial that I'm sure you saw if you watched any of the Olympics. It came on about 50,000 times. It was a Citibank commercial about devotion. And in the commercial, it had four different Olympic athletes doing different things and talking about what it cost them in the training that they did in order to be in the Olympics. And as the commercial goes, it opens and there's a, a swimmer that you're seeing him swimming and he says, take a day off. I don't even take the morning off. And then there's a gymnast who says, I haven't ordered dessert in over two years. A female bicyclist says, you know, that best-selling book everybody loves, I haven't read it. Finally, a man throwing a discus says, I haven't watched TV since last summer. Hey, I've been really busy. 
And it's an interesting commercial because while it may be overstating things a bit, there is a, an analogy there. There's an analogy that the Apostle Paul is actually using at the end of this passage in which he is saying that in order to be the best athlete you could be, in order to be an Olympic athlete, the discipline and the self-control and the self-denial involved is exceedingly great. It's exceedingly great. The things that athletes have to do, getting up early in the morning, going to bed late at night, watching their diet, working out properly, making sure they don't hurt themselves, also they can run in a race, also they can swim, also they can do the things that they do to win. And Paul's going to use that, Paul's going to see in that, because obviously there were Olympics and obviously there were games in Paul's day in Corinth, he's going to see in that a very powerful illustration for the Christian life, both with witnessing and winning others to Christ and with reaching the goal yourself. And so Paul's actually going to set out these two things. First, he's going to explain that the Christian is one who is willing to undergo servitude for the sake of gospel witness, and a Christian is one who is willing to undergo self-control for the sake of gospel rewards. Servitude for the sake of gospel witness, self-control for the sake of gospel reward. Well, notice there in verse 19 that Paul picks back up on a theme that he began in verse 1. In verse 1, he said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And he went on to defend his apostolic rights. He went on to say, I have a right to eat meat, and I have a right to a wife, and I have a right to financial remuneration. I have a right to, to, to eat from the gospel, he'll say. But he set that aside because Paul didn't want to run in vain. Paul didn't want to give the Corinthians any reason to look disparagingly on his ministry. He was, in a very unique sense, laying the foundation of the New Testament church there in Corinth. And Paul has been dealing with this issue of rights because the Corinthians were consumed with their rights. Well, Paul, isn't it our right to do this? Paul, isn't it our right to do that? Didn't you say we were free? Didn't you say we could do this? And you can't bind my conscience, Paul. You told us we were free. And so Paul has now brought himself forth as an example. And notice verse 23. I really think verse 23 sums up everything Paul says in chapter 9. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Everything that Paul did was with one thing in view. Paul did everything for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, both for others and for himself. And so now in this short passage, and, and a passage you have to pay very close attention to because you have to work as you read through some of these verses, Paul is going to say these two things. First, he's going to say that he became a servant to win any that he could win to Christ. Notice in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. Listen to this quote by Martin Luther. Luther said, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, and a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, subject, subject to all. A, a Christian is perfectly free from all, servant of none, and perfectly a subject of everyone. Perfectly a willing servant of everyone. Now, that seems like a contradiction on the surface, doesn't it? How can I be free from men? How can I be free from the opinions and agendas of people? How can I be free from what people think about me or think I should be doing and yet be a servant to everybody? There's a conundrum. Free from all, servant to all. 
Well, Paul is going to explain that he is free from any judgment of other people on him or his ministry or anything that he's doing, but that he has made himself a willing servant for the salvation of any and all. Um, there's a paradigm here. There's a, an, a mental paradigm that Paul is setting out in this passage that I think it would do us well to really pay close attention to. Because I think if we examine our lives, we find that we err like the Corinthians on the free from all. I'm free from all. Who is that person to tell me anything? How dare they tell me what I need to be doing? How dare they get involved in my life and tell me I'm not doing enough or I'm not? We, we love to do that. And there's a sense where we should love to do that because you are not Lord of my conscience and I am not Lord of your conscience. But I think oftentimes the pendulum swings hard in one direction. And what we often then do is we lose sight of where God wants the pendulum to be. God has called us to be free. He has redeemed us. We are, as I've said in the past, free from the wrath of God, free from condemnation on the day of judgment, free from sin's power, free from the judgments and the conscience binding of men. But we are slaves of God. We are slaves to God. We belong to God. That means all of our life, everything about us, whoever you are in whatever you're doing, you are a servant of God. Sitting there right now, you ought to be sitting there as a slave to God, saying, I belong to the infinite God. He is my God. I am his, his blood-bought creature. I've been bought with a price. Remember, Paul said that on numerous occasions. I belong to him. Now listen to this. Augustine said, Man is most free when most controlled by God alone. It's beautiful because we often think freedom is in asserting our rights because we do have rights. But Augustine is absolutely right. What Paul is saying is a man is most free when that man is servant of God alone. And so when you put the infinite God into the equation, when you put the creator into the equation and his will into the equation, when you put your will up to the canvas of his will, you start to see it's impossible for us who have been redeemed to be completely free and to do whatever we want to do. Because what God has redeemed us for is to be slaves of God and by consequence, slaves of men. Now notice what Paul says. He says, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, if you read Paul, we're Presbyterians here, at least I am. And uh, if you read Paul, you would think Paul's a Baptist. I'm going to be honest. Paul, this passage here is one of the greatest passages for evangelism and missions in the whole Bible. And Baptists are big, rightly so, on evangelism and missions. And sadly, modern-day Presbyterians are not as big on evangelism and missions as they ought to be. And so I think it helps us to see that Paul sees servitude to God first and foremost as for the purpose of winning others to Jesus Christ. That Paul understands that the big thing that God wants him to do, besides live a holy life, we're going to get to that, is that he would be winning others to Jesus. That he would be zealous for the salvation of those around him. That he would see men and women as those under the wrath of God. John Piper, very helpfully, said one of the reasons we make as little effort as we do in winning others is the fact that we don't believe the wrath of God is coming. Amen. One of the reasons, and I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say you this morning. I use we a lot. One of the reasons you do not take greater efforts at winning others is because you don't believe the wrath of God is coming. I know that's true for me. 
when we forget there's a day of judgment coming, Christ is coming, and the whole world is under his wrath by nature. And that means men and women are going to go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And they're never going to get out. They're never going to get out. I talked to one of you this week about hell and the sobering thought that there are people there now and there is a world going there that will never get out. The guy you work with, maybe your spouse, maybe your loved ones, people you're in school with, people that own stores next to your stores are going to go to hell if they're not in Jesus forever and ever and ever. They will not be annihilated. They will not be redeemed. There will not be a second gospel or a second chance. And I think Paul understood that because Paul does uses two words. First, he uses the word win, which is actually the word gain. And he uses it, you'll see a number of times here in verses 19 and following. He'll say that I might win more of them. And then notice verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as under the law that I might win those under the law. Paul sees that his servitude to God is a servitude to men so that he might gain them for Christ. That he might bring them to Jesus and gather them to the Savior. That he might tell men that the biggest thing they need is not satisfaction, is not depression dealt with and anxiety dealt with, but the biggest thing they need is sins forgiven and justification so that they do not come under the wrath of God on judgment day. That that's the biggest thing. Listen, if that's not it, you should leave here right now because I don't have any gospel to give you other than a gospel that deals with the wrath of God. It's not a gospel that transforms culture necessarily and makes the world here and now a better place. That may happen. It is a gospel that reaches the heart's the filthy black hearts of men and women that hate God and transforms them and cleanses them and forgives them and heals them. And notice Paul will actually say in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, Paul doesn't think he has the power to save people, but he understands that God has made ministers that principal, uh, the principal instrument of carrying the gospel out so that men will be saved. They'll be saved from wrath. They'll be saved from judgment. They'll be saved on the day of judgment. They will know what it is to be received and reconciled to God. Listen, you may not like hearing this. I understand that. It is reality everywhere in the scriptures. The Son of God came into the world to save sinners, to save them from wrath, to save them from the wrath to come. And so Paul sees that God has commissioned him and called him to take a gospel out to people that he might win them. And he sees that all of his efforts and all he, he will lay aside his rights. He will lay aside his rights and freedoms so that he can win people. Paul didn't go on vacation after vacation, eat at nice restaurant after nice restaurant. I love good restaurants. Let me tell you, I sat at a very nice bistro eating a very nice meal about a week ago. And as I sat there eating, I thought about what Jesus said about the last day that men will be eating and drinking, they will be marrying and given in marriage, and wrath will come upon this world. It's not wrong to eat and drink, but if your life is consumed with 
all of those liberties and comforts, and it's not consumed with winning some to Jesus, there is something radically wrong with your spiritual condition. This is not just Paul. This is you and me. There's something radically wrong with your spiritual condition if your mindset is not, how do I reach people for Jesus? And that that be a constant mindset, that that be a driving mindset, whether that's here in Richmond Hill or it's foreign missions or wherever it is, that ought to be the driving factor for you in your Christian life. I actually think it is so big, we have erred in the reformed world in underemphasizing evangelism because we've seen the big churches with all their programs. But then you read a passage like this, how can you not? How can you not see the preeminence of gospel evangelism as a driving motivator in the life of those that are redeemed? And notice what Paul says. Paul essentially says he would do everything he had to do lawfully in order to win any different group. Now here's where it gets very interesting. Because you may say, oh, I like that. I like the idea that we're to win people to Jesus. And, but then when you start thinking about different groups, different cultures, you know, America is the most polycultural society in the history of the world. You know that, right? There's never been a society that has so many different cultures all just intermixed together in one like there is in 21st century America. Music. Movies, television, shows, all over the map. Every kind of genre, every kind of interest, every kind of like and dislike. Being a servant to all, to win some, means me laying aside my cultural preferences and not offending others in their cultural preferences for the sake of the gospel. Now, you may say, well, pastor, that's, yeah, I don't know, that sounds dangerous. Well, I'll tell you what was dangerous. It was dangerous for Paul to go to Israel and to undergo ceremonial vows and observances in the book of Acts in order to win Jews. That was dangerous. Paul went right up to the line. Paul walked right up to the line to win Jews, so much so that we actually find Paul sacrificing after the days of completion of a vow in Israel. Now, if the Jews had said, these Gentiles need this to be saved, Paul would have said, no way, he wouldn't have done it. But if Paul's going to go to reach Jews and the culture of Jews are ceremonial laws, Paul's actually going to say, notice, he'll say, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. That Paul would actually culturally put himself under. Instead of sitting back, and, and I think I would fall into the trap of saying, oh, those Jews with their ceremonial laws, don't they know they've passed away in Jesus? And Paul doesn't do that. Paul goes in and subjects himself to win Jews. And if Paul is going through Corinth or Athens, when Paul interacts with philosophers in Athens, he knows the books that they read. He doesn't say, oh, this pagan society in Athens, how, how reprobate is this pagan society? He goes in there and he's like, even one of your own poets says. And he preaches the gospel in a very unique way to the pagan philosophers in the Areopagus. And so Paul is ever learning to adapt himself as a slave to win men to Jesus. Now, you know why I think we don't like this often? I think we don't like it because, number one, it infringes on our rights. Whatever we do, generally, we think is the right way. I mean, I'm, I, let's be honest. If I like this music and this show, everybody else should. If I, if I dress this way, everybody else should. 
If I do this, if I like this kind of food, everybody else should like this kind of food. This is, by the way, how bigotry gets started. They're not like me, and everybody else should be like me. I'm the greatest. And we do that, and we have rights and freedoms to be our own person. And, you know, I was telling somebody this week, I'm against the uniform in schools because it feels very communist. It takes away the individuality of people and takes away their right to be an individual. God has given us those rights. But if we are going to reach others, we have to be willing to set aside those rights to win particular groups and not to offend them because we don't like their particular cultural preferences. It's not saying we practice lawlessness. It's not saying, I mean, Paul's already told the Corinthians they, they shouldn't go in the temples and, and be a part of sacrificing meat to idols and eating there in that idol service in the temple. Paul's already said that. But now Paul's saying that we ought to be so enslaved to others that we are willing to adapt. I like to think of the Christian as an evangelistic chameleon. You need to be able to go in different environments and you need to be able to blend in. I, I actually think that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you need to be able to blend in. Now, you have a gospel that's not going to blend, and it's going to bring offense to people when they don't like it, but you have a gospel that's going to save people when they hear it. When people hear God is a holy God, you're under his wrath, God became man in Jesus, took that wrath on himself, so that if you trust in him, you don't get that wrath, people are saved. You realize that's how people are saved. They hear that. God works and saves them. Other people hate that. But as much as depends on us, we need to be putting ourselves out there. It's William Still who said that we have to get as near as we can to people to win people. We need to get as near as we can to people to win people. I think a perfect example of this is Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor as you know, was that great missionary to China as a boy. God laid a heavy burden on his heart to go to China. And as you read his son's biography about his dad, Hudson Taylor will talk about how he learned the Chinese language. He went home and he got a Chinese Bible and he got an English Bible and he learned the symbols, 900 some symbols, by reading passages in the Bible and learning the symbols and figuring out what they meant. And that Hudson Taylor did everything, grew his hair long, looked like he was from China, did everything he could to become Chinese to win people in China. That's what Hudson Taylor did for the sake of the gospel. In fact, he even started going to poor ghetto areas of the United States and ministering to people and carrying out acts of mercy and witnessing in those areas because it would be more socioeconomically like where he was going. Now, why do we remember men like Paul and Hudson Taylor is because they became all things to all people so that they might win some. Notice what Paul says. He says about the Gentiles to those outside the law in verse 21, I became as outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. There Paul is actually preserving the moral commandments of God saying, I'm not saying you can go sin and accommodate sin to reach people for Jesus, but if I'm ministering to a group that doesn't have this legal ceremonial ritual system, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell them about it. I'm not going to act like there's any significance. I'm not even going to tell them I was just over here taking a Nazarite vow. I'm not even going to tell them I was over here doing this to win Jews because I'm not dealing with Jews. Now, the Lord has been impressing on me over the last couple months how much we fail at this and how much we need to learn this. My whole life, I grew up around Christians who would look at groups 
culturally and would speak about them just demeaningly. They would speak about how base or how, how re, uh, reprobate certain groups were. And now I look at that and I think, isn't that interesting? And yet they wouldn't take one step to get near them with the gospel. When I was a boy, we were friends with a great theologian named Cornelius Van Til. He was one of the leading apologetics professors in, in the history of the church. And Dr. Van Til would go and have my parents and others take him to a train every morning. His wife had died, and he would get a train in Philadelphia, and he would take it up to Trenton, New Jersey, and he'd say, can you pick me up at the end of the day? And he would do this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And my mom finally asked Dr. Van Til, she said, why, why do you keep going to Trenton? Why, why are we taking you and picking you up? And here he had met a man he didn't know at a coffee shop in Trenton, New Jersey, and for weeks and weeks and weeks, he would go up there and drink coffee with him and share the gospel to him. Nothing in common with this man. No relations. Nobody had introduced them. Dr. Van Til was willing to become all things to all people. He was willing to take a train from Philly to Trenton, New Jersey, about an hour and a half. And he was willing to spend the entire day drinking coffee and sharing the gospel with a man. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's a powerful clarion call for us to get moving in the work of evangelism. There's a book I've told you about in the past. It's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven by a guy who has very strong evangelistic gifts. And the point of the book is that in heaven you will worship and you will love, but you will not have the opportunity to witness. There's one thing you will not be able to do in heaven that you will do here on earth, and that is witness. And listen, we need to be praying as a church that God will give us such a heart for the lost that together we would deny rights, privileges, comforts, things that we want to do, and that we would labor in this local church to use our gifts and our energies to reach the lost. That everything we do, we ought to be pulling together to do that. Now notice, secondly, that what Paul is going to tell us here in verses 24 and following seems disconnected. Now we go from, I do everything that I may save some, and I become all things to all people, to I beat my body into subjection so I don't go to hell. That doesn't seem to fit very naturally. I think you'll see that it does, though. Notice what Paul says in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. That what Paul's saying is everything I do for the salvation of others is so that on judgment day, I will stand with them and we will enter glory together. That we will together go in and see the king in all of his beauty and glory. We will enter in through the gates. We will sing the praises of God for all eternity. Paul said to the churches, you are my crown and joy and rejoicing in the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul includes himself among those that need the gospel. Paul says, I want to be a partaker of it with you. And so it's not enough for us to be evangelistic. We have to first have embraced and must be believing and must be persevering in gospel obedience. Notice what Paul says. He says there in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, we an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's essentially saying, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. 
He's essentially saying, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Now, let me say what Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying you can lose your salvation. Paul's not saying that. Nor is Paul saying on judgment day, God is going to look and see if you had enough good works. And because of that, you will go to heaven. It's not what he's saying. That would be Roman Catholic. We are Protestant. That's not Protestant. And it's not biblical. Paul is a man who has told us repeatedly, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Paul is assured that Christ has laid hold of him. Paul knows that God will bring the work he has begun to completion in the day of judgment. But Paul never presumes that he can live a careless life and make it to glory. And what he's doing is arguing hypothetically. He's arguing hypothetical to... To the contrary, he, he knows he has salvation. He's running. He is like the Olympic racer saying, take a day off. I can't take a day off. I can't be lax in anything that I do. I beat my body into subjection. I am constantly pressing on and running and training. Our life is a race. It's a race. There are people that will crawl across the finish line. There are others that will be disqualified And they will just disqualify themselves. They start off and they walk away from Christ. You do realize that there are multitudes of people that begin to follow Jesus, but they do not have the perseverance of the Apostle Paul. They do not have the mindset of Paul. Um, If I can press one thing on you besides our need to be praying to become all things to all people, to win some, it would be that you really examine your lives and ask, can I really say that I beat my body into subjection? Can I really say I run with certainty? Can I say that what I, I am here for Jesus Christ? I am not here, oh yeah, I got Jesus, I got a good church, and I got all this other stuff over here. But that you exist for Jesus. And God has put you in this race. And God has held the crown before you. And you know what? This is, not, this is not to steal assurance from any of you that deserve assurance and should have assurance in Christ who are trusting him. But there are many who sit in churches, good churches, week after week, that will never get the crown. Will never get the crown. Um, I'm going to tell you as your pastor how sobering this passage is. Because the last thing I want to do is wake up in Judgment Day to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the last thing I want to hear. I want to run with certainty. I want to beat my body into subjection. I want to keep my eyes steadfastly fixed on Jesus. I want to mortify the flesh. I want to repent of sin. I want to walk carefully. I want to labor to be all things to all people. I want to fulfill the ministry that God has given me in the Lord. And if you're a Christian, that should be the desire of your heart too. It's not an uncertainty. It's not an uncertainty. Paul's not saying, he's not sure he'll get there. But he is raising a warning to all who profess faith in God and all who profess faith in Christ. You must take seriously the call to radical Christian self-denial for the sake of the gospel. I fail at this. Man, I fail at this. I read Paul. I look at Paul. I look at my life. I look at the lives of those around me. And like I said last week, if you see that you 
are failing in running, if you see or you are failing in being all things to all people, again, there's a gospel and there's a Christ and we go to him and we fall on our faces before him in prayer and we say, Lord Jesus, I need you. We say, I've failed. Have mercy on me. My heart has fallen in love with the things of the world. My heart has fallen in love with pleasures and comforts and rights. And I've lost sight of what you have called me to. I've lost sight of the fact that I'm in a race, in a battle. I've lost sight of the crown. I've lost sight of the fact that you have set before me an an eternal inheritance and that you have redeemed me and you have set me running. I've grown tired. I watched in the Olympics four or five women running and they lapped other women. I don't want to be lapped. It's a very pathetic thing. I would be embarrassed if I was the woman that got lapped. They got lapped a couple times, actually, I think. That can happen spiritually. You can be getting lapped by people like Paul who have set their hand to the plow, who have beat their body into subjection, who will cast off everything that hinders you. Um, Interesting, Hudson Taylor... I'll close with this. Wrote a little work on prayer and talking about how hard it was to pray, to find time to pray on the mission field. And in this work, he says, the devil will send you busying yourself on something like fixing blinds to keep you from praying. I think that's very apropos to what Paul is saying here, that when, if we're engaged in a race, we're not going to let little things keep us from running, from beating our body into subjection, from making ourselves all things to all people so that we might win son. Our salvation's in the cross. Our salvation's not in our effort. But if we're not persevering in these things, it's a sign of spiritual unhealth at best, and an unconverted state at worst. Um, I, I don't want you to leave this place feeling comforted today. I really don't. The worst thing I could do is take this text and send you home just feeling comforted. We need to take seriously the things that are in the scripture. I think this is a word from God to us this morning. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm praying that you will take it seriously that you will pour over the scriptures, that you will examine your lives, that you will look back to Jesus. If you are, if you've grown complacent, slack, careless, lazy spiritually, that you would go to Christ and you would say, have mercy on me, give me strength, give me grace, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, set me running this race, make me diligent in it. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Our God, we know that these are weighty um, truths, and yet they are truths that we need to hear, that I, your servant, and your people need to hear. And our God, we pray that you would quicken us by the Holy Spirit, that you would show us more our need for Christ this morning, that you would heal us in all those areas where we have grown um, careless about the spiritual condition of others, our willingness to become all things to all people, and our zeal in beating our body into subjection so that we might run and receive the crown. Our God, we thank you that all of this is only because of your working in us. We know that we will only endure to the end because you will preserve us and keep us in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that you would bear us up in your arms and you would carry us and you would 
uh, revitalize us and rejuvenate us spiritually this morning. We pray that New Covenant Presbyterian Church would be a church that learns how to become all things to all people, that we might win some. Father, we pray that we would see converts. We pray that you would heal us spiritually so that we might be zealous to see the salvation of others around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.